0: Big Beat Manifesto goes, big beats are the best, get high all the time. Right. At the time, it felt like a much more all-encompassing philosophy.
1: contagious. Yeah. This is outrageous. This is contagious. Plus, he thinks he might be gay. He's 80% certain. 80. Nice. No need to overdo it. So he's... Dealing with that, which I think is great, and I'm being very supportive over. I always thought you might be a bit gay, but more like 30%, if I'm honest.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to the L Dude Brothers podcast, episode 52, Business Secrets of the Pharaohs.
1: My name's Laura, and I'm wearing my finest grass skirt made of dicks.
0: And my name is Sean, and I want to cut off my wife's hair and eat it.
1: (laughs) Definitely don't do that, that is not romantic.
0: Oh my God, no! She's been growing out her hair for like months now. She would probably <laughs> murder me in my sleep.
1: I've been growing out my hair as well since, uh, so since my eldest daughter was born. So I've had a trim, but I haven't had a proper haircut for four years now. It's the longest my hair's ever been. I'd be gutted if I woke up and feel to cut it off to eat it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but what if he made like a nice, you know, like spaghetti bed and you just put all your hair into the spaghetti bed?
1: My hair's so like processed as well. It'd be it'd be awful.
0: Not if you put some sauce on it.
1: <laughs> That's true. It go down a bit easier.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed um, the the actress. Uh, I don't. I forgot to look up the actress that plays Celia. I thought she was fucking great.
1: Yes, she is. She's very good. I, I don't. I've never seen her in anything else. I don't think actually.
0: Looking forward to talking about this episode. Like I said, when I watched it this time around, I didn't remember liking it as much, but I still thought it was very, very fucking funny. Yeah.
1: Okay then. Let's do
0: it well no we've got something way more important to talk about than that the world cup the world cup yeah like what'd you think (laughs) of your boy harry kane
1: yeah it's been um it's been emotional we well we obviously sat down to watch the um england game on monday was it monday was it that long ago on monday night i honestly don't remember yeah i think it was and yeah it was my husband was saying all the cliche man things that you have to say during a football match and saying they were, you know, throwing it all away and, oh, if they lose this game, then they will have deserved to lose it and that sort of thing. But, yeah, it was great to see Harry Kane making sure that we didn't lose it. A uh, bit, bit, bit surprising, like, like I was saying, off-air just now, being English and watching football, you get used to disappointment, so I'm not... I'm not thinking we're going to ride this wave of victory for much longer, but yeah, it was good. Have you been enjoying the World Cup?
0: Yeah, my office, um, The uh, I don't think that they were planning on playing the games at work. We have a lot of people who are of Mexican descent where I work, and right. they were upset because Mexico is in the tournament and they wanted to see their Mexican team play, um, so they all complained and then they turned on all the games at work so we've had all the games playing at work we don't have any commentary obviously but it's been fun
1: you don't have comment oh because it's on silent I yeah because it's on mute yeah that's yeah yeah um yeah i've been i've seen a few other games i'm not a massive football person but i've you know i'll muster up some excitement for, for the world cup or for a euro tournament so yeah i've been quite enjoying it well it's
0: good we can talk about this because i remember during the winter olympics all i wanted to talk about was curling and you were like no no don't
1: (laughs) don't 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 talk to me about curling yeah no at least i sort of understand basically what's going on with this definitely much more fun to watch the football in a pub rather than sober at home i sort of miss i miss my pub days with the football but you know it's you get into the spirit hey i'm
0: just saying for world cup 2026 kansas city might be one of the host host cities. I'm just yeah oh, really? yeah, I'm just saying we're we're up for one of the host cities for the the tournament, so you know,
1: I mean how I mean surely absolutely no offense to Kansas City here, but London didn't get it in that ballot a couple of years ago, surely, if we didn't get it, you can't get it, no the have you got a stadium, like what's the oh
0: arrow we have arrowhead stadium here, it's a huge stadium
1: okay. it holds right. I'm just bitter it
0: holds. Probably eighty thousand people.
1: Oh, okay. All right, you're equipped to then find you have it. Yeah,
0: those bastards.
1: Yeah, those bastards. We probably shouldn't say that because they've got spies everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> those Russians. What a great country! Yay, <laughs> Putin, great yeah. guy,
0: comrade. One of my fames. comrade born. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: uh let's see Mm. here anything else uh
1: no i've i've got a show i've been watching i want to talk about um afterwards but i'll talk about that afterwards let's let's talk yes let's talk
0: about peep show enough football enough um whatever it was we talked about before football let's let's get into peep show yes all right so
1: so i really enjoyed this episode i thought i liked it and i i did like it watching it which was kind of surprising because I've gone into Series 8 with not a lot of enthusiasm, I have to say.
0: I like this episode too. Um, I didn't like it as, like I said, I didn't like it as much as I thought that I liked it, Um, but I still very much enjoyed it. It's one of the funnier Series 8 episodes.
1: Yes, it definitely is. Um, Like I say, I've gone into Series 8 just thinking, oh, this is going to be a chore. (laughs) But actually, I enjoyed this episode a lot.
0: I'm really interested to see what we both think of Series 9, because I remember being very down on Series 9, and then I watched it a second time, and I was like, oh, I don't know what everybody's talking about. This is pretty okay.
1: No, I really liked it, and I liked it then, and I still like it. I think it still holds up, so I can't wait to talk about Series 9. Yeah.
0: All right, well, we got to get through Series 8 first. So, we kick off this episode with Mark and Jeremy, and they're just sitting around the living room of Apollo House. They're watching some TV show, and Mark is talking about her bathroom and and jeremy's just like oh god
1: yeah um so mark is obviously working at the bathroom place we know that and he is talking about water pressure isn't he He says that he's happy to sell your dream bathroom but it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing and jeremy is not into this conversation as you say (laughs) yeah
0: yeah jeremy just says mark mate you do know the more you talk about bathrooms the more i feel quite strongly that i'd like to kill myself (laughs) (laughs) and that
1: um and then mark says that he at least he has a job
0: do you know anybody who has a unique job like i don't know bathroom sales or something like that that they just talk about their job all the time and you they always work their job into every setting imaginable
1: funny it's funny we should be talking we've talked about football because my friend Stuart, uh who i know does listen occasionally he is a football journalist or he has been he does he does journalism stuff But that's where he started out, was as a football journalist. And as someone who knows next to nothing about football, oh, man. Sometimes I've been very lost during conversations with him when he talks about various footballers or various games he's watched or whatever. Um, And he just lives and breathes his job. And, yeah, we've been friends for 15 years, and I would say probably 30% of our conversations, I've not had a clue what he's going on about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what about you do you know anyone with a unique job um
0: i mean when i was a optician when i was working with glasses full-time i would talk to people about glasses or you know if people would start talking about glasses i would you know engage in these like high level glasses conversations with people who could just give a fuck less about the minutiae of glasses
1: i mean i guess being a teacher there is an element of when you're with other teachers so my best friend isn't a teacher. She's married to a teacher. And obviously me and my husband are teachers. And when the four of us get together, sometimes we start talking in code and Jenna, who's the one, who's, one who isn't a teacher, will just like look glazed and then be like, oh, you've been talking for 10 minutes and I have not listened to a word of it.
0: <laughs> it's kind of like being a podcaster and talking to people about podcasting. Most people just don't give a shit.
1: <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> um.
0: Yeah, so Mark says to Jeremy, you know, well, at least I have a job, and Jeremy's just like, okay, no need to lord it, Armitage Shanks, and then we find out...
1: Did you understand that? Do Armitage Shanks make bathroom stuff in America as well?
0: <laughs> no, I didn't know that that's what it was. Oh, I'm actually, yeah, I'm sure the, they do. they
1: make, yeah, they're the people that make, like, the basins and shit.
0: Okay, yeah, I'm sure that we have Armitage Shanks stuff over here.
1: It's normally written on on your basin.
0: Oh, I'll have to next time I'm at a urinal, I'll have to take a look.
1: <laughs> have a look, <laughs> yeah. Um, and Jeremy says that he's actually got a new career lined up, a new and exciting career.
0: Yes, we find out that he is going to be a personal invoicing life coach, and man, this is probably my favorite iteration of Jeremy.
1: Yes, me too. I like a therapist jeremy and he says that he's a highly intuitive person so he thinks he's going to make a really good therapist but mark's not completely convinced
0: yeah jeremy says look at all the pussy i i bag and mark asks if that's uh jung or freud <laughs>
1: <laughs> and mark also asks what kind of mad therapy is going to do is he going to do jezzercise where you hunt people better with crystals um and that really made me laugh out that, i'd forgotten what a great line that is and then he follows it up with i guess it's better than some of your job ideas like becoming an admiral which also really made me laugh
0: um what i really like is jeremy is just really excited about the certificate you get for being a personal invoicing life coach and jeremy says it's basically all the best things about therapy and self-help but without the and mark just says hard work and jeremy just says <laughs> unnecessary bolt-ons. um Jeremy shows Mark, like, a pamphlet about the course, and, you know, um, uh, it has a picture of a guy playing golf on the front, and Mark says, oh, golf, and Jeremy says, yeah, it's to show, it's for wankers and shirts as well as freaks with bum bags. It's proper, Mark, they've got a website. But Mark just says, well, that's cool. If they've got a website, the people running it definitely have fingers and a computer. <laughs>
1: i really like the ongoing joke in peep show about how jez and hands are kind of suspicious of the internet it always makes me laugh whenever it comes up and this is a good use of that joke
0: yes um
1: um jez then says that there's a week of intensive training and then bang he's out there he'll be qualified and mark's again not convinced by this he doesn't think a week's long enough and Jez says, if it looks like a life coach, and it's got a certificate saying it's a life coach, then it's probably a life coach. And Mark thinks, although it might in fact be a failed musician with chlamydia. <laughs> uh,
0: this is a really good opening scene. I just love the interaction between these two. Like, Mitchell and Webb are just so goddamn funny.
1: Yeah, it's really, it's um, it's Jez and Mark at their absolute best, playing their characters to their absolute at their absolute best as well, I think.
0: Yeah, I really feel like this is another one of those scenes that you could just show a person where they would instantly understand both characters.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you.
0: Um, Next scene, we go to a nightclub. Um, Unfortunately, IMDB failed me and did not tell me what nightclub this was. (laughs) IMDB failed me a lot this episode. I'm just going to throw that out there. So if people are waiting for the hard-hitting commentary on where stuff was filmed, (laughs) IMDB didn't do a good job for me here.
1: Maybe this was just in a studio because it doesn't really look like it's not got any particular features of a club, has it? So
0: That is true. Uh, I can really empathize with Mark here. He just thinks to himself, oh, God, I am now in the morning and I should have been in bed in the night. And I have to get up for work in the morning, not next morning, this morning.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I am 100% on his side here. I completely can't i'm too old for going out on a work night now really
0: well one thing i like is that i do have a lot of co-workers who do ask me to go out with them the problem is is that they don't get together till like 10 o'clock and then they want to stay there till the bars shut down at like one or two in the morning whenever time bars close and i'm just like no no 2 a.m i'm a fucking be in bed you know yeah
1: i'm too old for that shit mate that is i'm way beyond that i wasn't very good at it when i was younger i've never had much stamina but i definitely don't have it now
0: i work with a girl who just turned 21 probably uh, about eight months ago and she is a fucking mutant like she just drinks 21 is the drinking age here in america um but she just drinks like four nights a week five nights a week and she's a young, good-looking girl. So guys just like buy her drinks with abandon. So she just gets hammered on all these guys, like buying her drinks, and then she goes home.
1: Nice work if you can get it. I've got friends a little bit like that, but she is Australian and she's older now. She's similar age to me, she has got a liver made of steel. Like they make them different in Australia, and she still manages to drink sort of three or four nights a week. And I just don't know how she does it. Yeah,
0: I don't know how my friend does it either. No. And not only is she drinking, but then she's also dancing. So, you know, she's got, like, the drink on top of the dancing, and it's just mind-blowing to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. I definitely couldn't do that.
0: Nope. Um, We see that they're all kind of hanging out with Simon, who is Dobby's ex. They're all celebrating a new startup, and Simon brings a whole bunch of champagne over and... um, you know, Mark is being very, like, he's being, like, kind of a dick, very passive-aggressive. He says, good luck to you in this incredibly hostile business environment.
1: Is this our first uh, first time we ever see Simon? It is, isn't it?
0: They went to go see Man Feelings together.
1: Oh, of course they did. Yeah, sorry, my bad. Um, he was in that episode. I really like Simon. I like uh, Matthew Bayton's portrayal of him he i don't know if he's an actor that's made it over there but he's in lots of things over here he's quite well known and this was probably the first place i ever saw him um and i enjoy him as simon a lot because simon is horrible i
0: guess to some to some degree he's horrible but not do
1: you not think he's creepy i think he's really sleazy
0: i mean i feel like he's like a young millennial trying to you know like one of those uh silver spoon asshole millennials that you know just wants to keep doing startup after startup and we don't even know what kind of startup it is it's a like a tech startup but we don't know what you know services company provides or anything like that
1: that's that's probably true i just think he he plays this kind of not very nice character really well
0: yeah i mean i think that that's more in love bunker than anything
1: yes yeah yeah you're probably right there
0: as they're all kind of you know celebrating um simon asks mark what he's doing and mark is you know uh oh, i've worked in retail uh oh, bathroom supplies and then he kind of leans into it and he just says yep that's my niche shitting and washing those babies are recession proof
1: <laughs> yeah um he doesn't really they don't really know what to say um, so Dobby kind of gets, comes in and saves him and says that Mark's also been working on a book. Well, they all kind of like that. That seems to be more in keeping with what they understand. And Mark thinks, oh, I love you, Dobby. And he sort of is self-effacing and says, oh, it's nothing. And then <laughs> everyone takes him on his word and doesn't ask him any further questions about yeah.
0: it. Yeah, I just, um, I love this. He's just like, oh, it's nothing. And everybody at the table's like, oh, okay. And then Mark's like, no, no, no. I, I mean, it's, it's something I, I just don't want to, talk about it and simon's like understood and then mark just can't help himself and he just blurts out business secrets of the pharaohs it's called i've got it in with several publishers i just think that humble Um, mark is just so funny when he's just trying to he's just he wants people to ask him about it but they just are like oh well you said it's not interesting so you know we're not going to talk to you about it
1: Yeah, Dobby then sort of, again, jumps in to save him and she says it's good because you go in thinking it's going to be boring, but then you're like, "Mm, maybe not. And someone then asks, okay, what are the business secrets of the pharaohs? And Mark just immediately pisses on his own chips by saying (laughs) that, first of all, you've got to acknowledge that the ancient Egyptian era is so completely different to our own that any cultural, political, or business parallels that we draw between the two are by their very nature almost bound to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is not selling this book to me, I have to say.
0: Yeah, no, not at all. Um, so they all kind of, you know, just, oh, okay, and kind of walk away. Uh, Dobby leans over and says, you know, tells Mark that they've uh, offered her a job at their startup and she is, you know really happy about that because she's not very happy with where she works um mark just says with any luck it'll be one of the five percent of internet startups that don't fold within the first 18 months and mark just thinks to himself god i love those made up stats and uh i just remember (laughs) seeing somewhere that something that said like 67 percent of stats are made up
1: (laughs) (laughs) we there's a large part of the english gcc that involves having to or used to you had to write to persuade argue or advise and when the kids were writing this, we'd tell them to put in statistics and it didn't matter what they were. You didn't you could make them up. And, and then we'd always say that most statistics are made up anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, Dobby says to Mark that, you know, ever since Gerard died, she's been thinking life's too short. And, you know, she's just got to seize the day. And Mark's just like, um, Mark's just like, oh, God damn it. Gerard, back from the grave to foil my plan like a boring dracula and <laughs>
1: um, we then go into the next scene where jeremy is sitting in some sort of seminar room at his life coaching and the woman at the front she introduces herself as celia and says that this is the personal invoice in a life coaching session and that everyone should sit down and they're gonna get started and jeremy is thinking about who else is in the room he starts to look around
0: I'm sorry. Oh yeah, Jesus. I'm sorry. I didn't scroll the screen down. Sorry, I was. I was like, the fuck is going on here? What is she talking about? Um, yes. I and this is where we meet Celia for the first time. I really, really enjoy Celia. She's like perfect for this role. I'm actually almost kind of sad that Celia wasn't more of a reoccurring character because I think she would have been really, really goddamn funny.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think she could have been really good to continue. Um, what did I say? What was the last thing I said? Oh, yeah. So, Jess is looking around, looking at everyone in the room, and he's thinking about who the competition is.
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's, you know, like, oh, you get your... <sighs> Jesus. Yeah, you get your life coach... <sighs> Jesus. You get your life coached by a failed supply teacher with the easy charm of a nunce in a prison yard, and he's just, you know, a uh, life coach. I have to Go ahead, sorry. sorry
1: go on. I have to admit I've used that line uh for my own to get a laugh myself once or twice in the staff room when you get a supply teacher and he looks like a murderer. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um he also <laughs> sees another girl that he thinks life coaching e- course equals non judgmental space to meet similar freaks for Mutual Hippie Touching. Uh, Celia asks if everyone got a chance to read through the course textbook, and Jeremy just is kind of looking at everybody, and he's thinking to himself, like, fucking squares. Who's got time to read all the way down to the bottom of an email? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and she, Celia then asks what everyone thought of the core principles, and picks on Jeremy, and he thinks, well, here we go, here are a zero. So he just goes in with, to be honest with you, I thought it was shit, and <laughs> says that he's just not going to sit there and and regurgitate a whole load of book learning because he hasn't read it, and he says that when you're in the headspace forest, you can't look at no textbook when you've got a three hundred pound emotion racing at you with its claws out, crying. And she seems to like this; she agrees with him.
0: Yeah, and uh, she just says, "I think you know what. I think I know what you mean, and it's quite true." And Jeremy <laughs> thinks to himself, "Is of course it's quite true. I just made it up." <laughs> <laughs> Uh god damn it, the life coaching is great. It's I almost I was just gonna say, I really wish that the life coaching um course had maybe been like three months or something like that so that we could have seen more of the class.
1: Yeah, I think the class would have been funny, but then it would have had to have been a real qualification, which Jeremy would never have gone to the sessions.
0: Oh yes. God damn it, you're good that's a good point.
1: Yeah, he would never have stuck with it if it had been longer than a day.
0: Well, it was a week, but, you know, thanks for shitting on my idea for a, <laughs> a long-term Jeremy plan.
1: I mean, he only stuck at one thing, and that was the cult. So, if they made it into a cult, then maybe he would go.
0: You know, I just realized that both Jeremy and Mark go take educational courses in this series.
1: That's true, they do, don't they? Yeah,
0: maybe they're maybe they're ready to better themselves in their, you know, late 30s.
1: Their degrees from oh, not that Jez got a degree, but their degrees from Darty clearly weren't worth as much as as they could have been.
0: Yeah, yeah, just
1: which I identify with because I went to a shit university as well.
0: Uh, I don't even have a degree, so you're one step ahead of me.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but my wife has all- my <laughs> wife has two, so we average out to one per person in this household. So oh, that's
1: alright then. That's okay. Share.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty soon it'll be like two thirds. <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> i'm terrible at fractions fuck you uh, anybody that's listening to this i don't know what the actual answer is i could probably figure it out
1: <laughs> no i was no good at maths either so yeah my my degree the degree i have is not in maths oddly enough
0: oh yeah two-thirds yeah because each of us would have two-thirds of a degree yeah see you
1: were i right. was right yeah. all
0: right um i'll probably edit out the hostility there because <laughs> that was uncalled for i'm sorry
1: <laughs> uh, we then go back to apollo house where mark and dobby are drinking some wine that for legal reasons must call itself sparkling grape style drinking <laughs> wine and they offer some to jeremy
0: <laughs> jeremy wonders if this is some sort of trap have they found some legal way to force him out of the flat but no yeah we find out that mark has found a publisher for his book
1: yes um i wondered what do you call fake champagne in america what is the what's it called what's the name for your sparkling wine
0: um i think we just call it sparkling wine
1: okay yeah i thought that was probably the answer
0: yeah i'm pretty sure it's sparkling wine
1: yeah because it must be it must be even more expensive to get champagne over there i never thought of this until i was watching this episode and then uh i thought oh yeah champagne must be like a really expensive thing to drink in america
0: uh i mean some of it is
1: maybe it's similar to here because we've got you know some champagne that's not so great and some that's really expensive there's
0: some i mean there are some brands there's like cavassier or something like that that is really fucking expensive of course
1: cavassier is a brandy oh yeah yeah. cavassier
0: is cognac see i don't even know yeah fuck off
1: that's 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 how uh that's how much champagne you're drinking yeah (laughs) let's
0: see expensive champagne brands Oh, Dom Perignon was what I was thinking of, not Cavassier.
1: Um, I'd be interested to know how much a bottle of Dom Perignon would cost you to... Type it into Google and see how much it would cost you to buy, to see if it's that much more expensive for you to buy it. Uh, it's got to go so much further.
0: Let's see here. Uh, <laughs> wow. So it ranges in price from $180 for a bottle to six hundred dollars a bottle
1: okay so here it's about 100 quid so yeah it is about so i've looked up what 180 dollars is and it's 135 pounds so it is significantly pricier there which i thought it would be because it's got to go further makes sense
0: yeah Dom Pérignon is like the big drink that all the the expensive or the the wealthy rappers drink and they uh, spray okay. it all over the yeah. crowd
1: I think moe is the one over here that is the like the go-to champagne not that i'm a big champagne drinker either i don't actually like it i think it smells weird
0: <laughs> it's nicole's Spitting favorite it alcoholic beverage
1: oh really i like prosecco i don't think that i think that's nicer it doesn't smell weird like champagne does
0: yeah my mom and my sister despite you know being fairly like my mm-hmm. folks are funny because despite my mom and my sister being fairly wealthy their go-to drink is boxed wine like franzia <laughs>
1: oh in a, one of those bladders in a box nice. yeah
0: yeah that's a kind of their go-to wine that they like to drink
1: that said my mom's favorite drink is Mateus rose which is like the cheapest nastiest rose that's in a special shaped bottle but it was big in the 70s so i think she drank it in her youth and got a taste for it <laughs> also we are quite common so that's probably you know that's probably why
0: Ah, uh, you're i you're not common laura
1: Mm, I'm a bit... I mean, I'm not, like, the worst of of the... Like, I'm, you know, but I'm not... I'm not top drawer. I think you... I think in a class system, I think you might be... If you were here, you might be slightly more middle class than me.
0: Uh, Sorry. Uh, No, I mean, you, you own a house. I don't.
1: Yeah, things like that, they don't have, like... They're not what makes you middle class i just get the feeling your family would be higher on the middle class i think oh. i think me and phil now are like the lower middle class but we come from working class families and i get the feeling that your family are were well, already middle class probably in the middle of middle class
0: oh uh, i would say that my my folks and my sister are like upper middle class borderline wealthy
1: yeah exactly there you go
0: yes um Anyways, enough about my family. <laughs> uh,
1: Where were we? We've gone off track talking about champagne. Yeah,
0: uh, let's see. Oh, and Jeremy thinks to himself, his book, what's next? Has he found a director for his p- film, a builder for his cathedral? And Mark says that he got the email today from BL Books, very enthusiastic. They've got a slot for me as long as I can finish my rewrites ASAP. I guess what this shows is hard work pays dividends and Jeremy thinks to him, or says, yes, I know exactly what you mean. I was working pretty hard on my course today.
1: Yeah, and and Mark thinks appearing on I'm a Celebrity is not the same as winning an Olympic gold medal. (laughs) And... um, And then Jeremy says that he supposes it means it's all looking up for the L.D. Brothers or J.K. Rowling and Sigmund Freud, as we should probably start calling ourselves.
0: And then Mark thinks to himself, Sir Stephen Redgrave and Timmy Mallet might be more appropriate, which I didn't really understand this joke because Sir Stephen Redgrave was a a rower and Timmy Mallet was like a TV personality. I didn't really understand what this joke was going for. Um,
1: I guess it goes back to when Mark said that winning an Olympic medal... Is not the same as being on I'm a Celebrity, so he's comparing himself to oh, Jesus
0: Christ. Yes, okay, that makes total sense. Yeah. That makes and total Jeremy sense to Timmy
1: Mallet, who was a a madcap children's television presenter from the 80s, and who my boyfriend, whose stuff I burnt in a bin, really looked like. He was the absolute double of Timmy Mallet, which is not a sexy look.
0: <laughs> Did he have the um, the Mallet? mallet's mallet he
1: didn't he didn't have the mallet but he had the glasses and everything i mean it was it was uncanny and i didn't see it i'd been with him for quite some time before someone pointed it out and then i couldn't stop seeing it
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh jeremy thinks to himself i could write a book piece of piss chapter one the end there you go
1: (laughs) (laughs) um so dobby then asked how the life coaching went and jeremy says it was great loads of great exercises pretty sure he won not based it's a competition but it was pretty clear that he was the best
0: one in there um <laughs> and then uh davi says you know ask jeremy well i want you to life coach me i'm a gomless dweeb stuck on the horns of a dilemma and mark is a little upset about this because <laughs> they were going to be watching game of thrones and uh davi just says yeah you can put dragon tits on pause Can't we? Just going to nip off to the Disgustatorium, which is a great name for a bathroom.
1: Yes, I've I've used this line myself. It's quite a funny funny line for when you're off to the loo. Um, And then she says, when when she comes back to Jez, feel free to coach my ass. (laughs) And she leaves to go to to the loo. And Mark implores Jez to please not put his filthy hands in Dobby's brain because she doesn't need someone telling her to, you know, reach for the stars and live (laughs) her dreams and such
0: (laughs) and jeremy says you know that he has a code of ethics it's a professional discipline there's a pamphlet uh mark says that he wants to be dobby's life coach and jeremy says we can't both be her life coach jeremy tells mark that he hasn't got a certificate (laughs) and mark says i could if i spent 200 quid and went to forest hill for five hours and then um Mark asks Jeremy, please, can you coach her that Simon's a shit and to stop hanging out with him? And Jeremy tells Mark that he's only going to do one unethical thing in his entire career, and it just happens to be the very first thing. (laughs) Oh, Jeremy, you young, naive bastard.
1: Yeah. Um, Later on that night, uh, Jeremy and Mark are in the kitchen, and Jeremy comes in in his dressing gown to find Mark making a cup of coffee. And says, Are you stirring your coffee very quietly without chinking the side so I can't hear and you don't have to make one for me? And Mark but acts like, of course he isn't, but thinks, oh, the velvet spoon routine. He's been doing that for years.
0: Do you have your own equivalent to the of the velvet spoon routine?
1: <sighs> um, we don't really drink a lot of hot drinks, either of us, but my equivalent would probably be sneakily getting a biscuit out of the packet or something in the cupboard without rustling the the packaging so phil doesn't know and then want the biscuit so i can eat more biscuits that's probably my equivalent what about you uh,
0: cooking things in the microwave but then stopping it with one second left on the microwave so the timer doesn't go <laughs> off
1: oh yeah that's a good one i used to do that when i lived at home so that my parents wouldn't know i was like eating melted cheese on something at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> uh- standard after a night's drinking
0: yeah, I've got ears like a hawk, so you know nobody gets shit by me.
1: <laughs> um, Jeremy then says, "You're having a midnight coffee. You're not going to go bar me and start phoning up Five Live, saying you've seen the end of civilization at the bottom of a bargain bucket," which made me laugh a lot because uh, so mine and my husband, one of our favourite activities if we're driving back from anywhere late at night, is to put on Five Live and see what nutters are phoning up with their to the talk it, the phone ins on the talk shows to kind of come up with their mad bullshit.
0: Okay, so Five Lives kind of sounds like AM coast-to-coast coast over here.
1: Is it a talk radio station?
0: Yes, where people will yeah. call in and talk about UFOs that they've seen and um, government conspiracies yeah. and all that shit.
1: Yeah, exactly that. LBC, which is is it used to be just a London station, but it's now gone nationwide. That is another one where exactly that happens. Just randoms phone up. And especially it's always good if there's been some sort of tragedy or major political upheaval because people will phone up with absolutely mad conspiracy theories and i remember on the night that amy winehouse died we'd been in uh, clapham at a festival and we were driving home and obviously it was very sad she was very young it was unexpected and there were people phoning up to like you know talk to the presenter about how sad it was and their own experiences with drug abuse and then someone phoned up to, to say basically it was a government conspiracy and she wasn't really dead and he knew because he'd seen her that afternoon and it was just like, they cut the call short, but not short enough and it it's stayed with me.
0: Oh shit, okay, so this sounds way more like InfoWars and Alex Jones than anything.
1: I don't know what you just said, but okay.
0: Oh shit, so, okay. Remind me and I will send you some videos of Alex Jones...
1: Okay, is he a we've got our own Alex Jones, but she's a lady. Um, is he a talk radio presenter?
0: Yes, he's a, a very, very like extreme right wing uh conspiracy theorist.
1: Ah, uh, sounds sounds hilarious already.
0: And um oh my god. So it was weird because I first got turned on to Alex Jones, like right after nine eleven, because he was really big into this, like, oh nine eleven was a conspiracy theory, nine eleven was a conspiracy theory. Um, yeah. And I was a 9-11 conspiracy theorist at the time, so I really liked him. And then um, after President Obama came into office, he just really fucking went off the rails. <laughs> he talks about lizard people that are, you know, like, there's lizard people in the government that are, you know, these lizard people that wear, like, human disguises. Um you know,
1: big fan of the lizard people theory because there's a that those people believe that our royal family are lizard people don't they so i love those love those conspiracy theories
0: yeah he thinks that there's like that the illumina there's like an illuminati that secretly controls the earth and um
1: mate you would not believe how many kids that we teach so it seems to be a big thing with teenagers right now and has been for a few years now Illuminati confirmed they really believe in it and they're always telling us things that are like oh that's the Illuminati and they absolutely believe it and read this stuff on the internet and it's just marvelous entertainment. If you ever want to derail the lesson to just have a laugh with some 15 year olds ask them about the Illuminati.
0: <laughs> I'm sort of surprised that the Illuminati never like came up during peep show.
1: Yeah, yeah, true actually. it seems like the sort of thing Jeremy would have believed in actually
0: yeah um let's see what oh man what other i'm trying to think of what other kind of crazy shit that um that alex jones talks about uh you know chemtrails do you know what chemtrails are
1: yes yeah okay
0: Yeah, yes talks about chem i'm
1: quite see I'm, i don't really believe in any conspiracy theories but i quite like reading about them so like on reddit i like the conspiracy theories subreddit and I love reading about conspiracy theories on the internet. So even though I don't believe in these things, I know all about them.
0: Yeah. Uh, Alex Jones is great. Like if you're ever feeling really like, uh, um, if you're ever feeling bad about yourself and you think you're crazy and you want to find somebody who actually is crazy, I highly recommend <laughs> talk, listening to Alex Jones.
1: He's your man. He's your okay, man. I'll, I'll remember that.
0: If anybody has an InfoWars sticker on the back of their car, I will, or talks about InfoWars, I will usually just leave that person alone and not talk to them. <laughs> I apologize if any of our listeners actually do listen to InfoWars. Um, I'm sure you're a good person.
1: <laughs> not completely bombing. Yeah.
0: Um, so, Mark says, you know, Mark tells Jeremy that he's, uh, you know, on a roll. He's done 6,000 words since 6 p.m. And Jeremy knows because... Jeremy says, yeah, because you type like you're trying to massacre imaginary ants swarming your keyboard, which just really fucking cracks me up because I have a keyboard that has um, the way the keyboard is designed. It has all the keys have a click to it. Right. And so even when I'm trying to be quiet, you can still hear me typing.
1: Yeah, that's true. I can hear that. I don't know what any of that means, but I'm going to do a little bit of typing and see if you can hear mine which i know you can't so mine's clearly not not the same yeah
0: yeah well you know i've got a i've got like a gaming keyboard and for some reason gaming keyboards have to have these loud ass clicks to the the keys
1: i mean i quite i do find it quite satisfying when a keyboard's got a good click like my work one's got a good click
0: yeah um My keyboard that I have at work is a, what's called a membrane keyboard. And so it's super duper quiet and it really annoys me because I really want a mechanical keyboard instead because it's got, I feel like the keys just have a better response. Um, but
1: I think it's got something to do with like going back to typewriters. I think that's what it is. is it's like satisfying to hear because it feels like you're physically achieving something. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree. Mm, yeah. Um, Mark says that he's had seven black coffees and he just feels like he's really nailing it Jeremy tells him, you know, hey, look, you, you're you in Caps Lock and you've been in Caps for a few hours. And Mark just says, Caps still counts. I've just drawn an irresistible comparison between the V and Branson. I'm thinking of drawing Branson as a hieroglyph. What do you think? And Jeremy just says, I think maybe you should get quite a lot of sleep
1: yeah and mark says no he needs to hit just a thousand more words and a spell check and then he's done and jeremy says don't worry about the spell check because that's basically all publishers are now are uh, spell checkers who take you out for lunch and they're gonna have a spell checker that's got all the latest words in it and mark agrees and jeremy thinks yeah keep killing those ants, Charles Dickens.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, next we see celia and jeremy out on a date because of course jeremy is a fucking thinks with his dick and of course is going to try to bang his teacher
1: yes um he is I telling her she's an amazing therapist and she says thank you but i'm not a therapist i'm a life coach and jeremy's like yeah exactly who can be bothered to get a degree and spend four years moaning on about how your grandson you is primary school with raw chicken in your packed lunch because she'd mixed up the tupperware boxes and you thought she was trying to poison you and celia looks concerned and asked if that happened to him and just says yeah it did <laughs> yeah
0: i highlighted that line just because i thought it was so goddamn funny
1: we laughed about it he then says clearly not laughing
0: yeah and uh and he just you know has this thing where he says mixing up the boxes yeah right i know you were trying to kill me gran she asked jeremy or jeremy asks her um you know do you have any idea what you're gonna have and celia kind of responds you need to check in with me before you make your decisions hmm
1: and jeremy's just like yeah, oh i says, was just curious Whoa. yeah and he says i was thinking about having the burger and he sort of inflects at the end of it like an american and she says why do you say that like it's a question <laughs> uh if you want a burger just have the burger and he says you know well i was going to order the burger but now you said that that makes me feel like you've got a problem with it and he sort of He's uneasy, and when the waitress then comes over, he orders a halloumi salad and a water, and even as he's doing it, he can't believe he's ordering himself this crap lunch.
0: That halloumi salad and water just sounds disgusting, by the way.
1: Yeah. I like halloumi, but halloumi salad is... If you're in a restaurant, you need to go big or go home, don't you?
0: I would prefer... I like fried halloumi.
1: Yes, fried halloumi is very nice. I agree with that.
0: Yeah, this is... I'm just imagining is like raw... Halloumi, or I guess not raw, but like
1: grilled halloumi. Yeah,
0: grilled halloumi on a salad. Yeah. Yeah. And as the waitress turns to Celia to ask what she wants, Jeremy just says, "You know what? Fuck it. I'll have a Coke, a man Coke, not a Wayne Rooney hair transplant bullshit. And screw the salad. I'm having a burger, and a chocolate cheesecake." Yeah, that's right. I'm ordering pudding before I've even started my main course. And then he like slams the um, menu shut and he says, and if you've got a problem with that, send out the manager and tell him to talk to me.
1: <laughs> yeah. And Celia likes this. She approves and she says, good, I'll have the same. And Jeremy says, I know what I want and I'm not afraid to ask for it. And then he says, I, I'm going to say this. I love you, Celia. And he thinks, so good for a first date. Stone cold classic.
0: Yep. And then into the very next scene, we see, of course, Celia and Jeremy just go into town on each other. Um, Jeremy's thinking to himself, afternoon delight, nailing the course and the tutor. The <laughs> Celia is just, she's just like saying the most random shit. She's just like, I'm the boss. I'm the boss. And I've got a fucking grass skirt. And Jeremy just is like, oh, yes, you've got a grass skirt. And she just says, a grass skirt made of dicks. I've cut off all the dicks and they're hanging from my my skirt and as she's saying this jeremy just grows increasingly uneasy with uh celia's grass skirt of dicks
1: i really like during the dirty talk here how jeremy just sort of agrees with her however odd it is and then it's like oh that's a bit too much and then she says oh just go for it jeremy and he says what and she said just just go for it and he says okay, well, by telling me to go for it, it makes me feel like you're saying that I'm not going for it. <laughs> and she's like, no, 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 I was just checking. And um, he's clearly, I don't know, not upset, but just uncomfortable about this whole situation.
0: I always feel so bad for Jeremy whenever his sex goes weird.
1: Which it always does. It always goes weird for him, doesn't it?
0: I know, it's never, it's never easy sex for Jeremy.
1: No, um... And she's then like, oh, sorry if I broke a taboo. Who wants boundaries in the bedroom? Why don't you tell me your fantasy? Okay, Nancy. And Jeremy has to really reach for the fantasy. Like, he's kind of thinking that really he just his fantasy is just humping. <laughs> um, but he needs something more edgy.
0: Yep, and uh, before we can find out <laughs> what his edgy fantasy is, we go on to the next scene.
1: Yes, and this is Mark and Greg, who is from BL Books. And he is, uh, that he's taken Mark for a literary lunch at a food truck.
0: Yeah, and this was filmed on a street called um, Roslyn Road in South Acton, London.
1: Oh, there you go. Um, Greg is apologizing for the last minute menu change. He says he's just on his way to the Frankfurt Book Fair. <laughs> and, and Mark's like, no worries, you're a busy guy. <laughs>
0: Yes, uh poor innocent naive Mark.
1: Yes, so naive.
0: Um so Mark starts kind of talking to Greg and um Mark thinks to himself, this must be the greatest quantity of squeezable mustard ever present at a literary lunch. Uh Greg just instantly kind of starts blowing smoke up Mark's ass and he's telling him how much he likes the book and um You know, Mark is kind of surprised to hear this because he hurried finishing it and he was worried he overdid chapter three. Um, Mark kind of starts to, he says, uh, it's not too obvious, right? The parallel between the Nubians and the Assyrians and modern businesses, enemies, web computers and Chinese competitors, excuse me, and Chinese import. And Greg just says, actually, that's my favorite chapter.
1: Yeah, and Mark then sort of then again starts talking about it in some detail and he and Greg cuts him off. He's like, no, don't worry about the book. The book's great. Thing is, we've had some bad news from Denmark and this is my favourite line in the whole episode where Mark says, Hamlet's back and he's made the, his final decision to be and then <laughs> thinks, God, I'm such an oaf. In publishing, he must have had a million Hamlet jokes and Greg's face doesn't even crack. Like, he doesn't even acknowledge Mark's brilliant joke.
0: Yeah, it's so, it's so fucking funny. Yeah, he just does not... <laughs> even remotely come close to uh acknowledging that a joke has even been told
1: no it's a great joke i feel bad for mark um but he greg explains that denmark is actually where they get their books printed and that paper costs have skyrocketed because of the euro and mark is you know sympathetic the bloody euro um and Greg explains that the upshot of this is that they're having to ask their authors to put in uh, two grand just to cover the extra costs of the paper that has come out of Denmark.
0: I like how Greg like uh portrays this as a good thing.
1: Yes, yeah, he's he, he's a smooth operator, that's for sure. Um, he he explains to Mark that there's no downside. Mark is pleased to hear that. He's like, oh, there's no downside. Great um and he says uh, greg says that he's so confident he's prepared to cut him an extra percentage point on books sold over a quarter of a million which mark is very happy about yep
0: and mark um, tapping into his johnson his knowledge of johnson's business practices thinks to himself keep your panties dry till the big guy's hard <laughs> and mark just says tell you what greg why don't we go 50 50 on net profit over a million units and Greg just is like, oh, yeah, I forgot I was talking with a business guru. What the hell? Nice doing business with you. And Mark just thinks to himself, I'm killing these guys. And I just, all I could think about was, this sounds like a Donald Trump bargain.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is how he does business. Art
0: of the deal, motherfuckers, art of the deal. <laughs>
1: Uh, We then go back to Apollo House where Mark and Jez are with superhands. And uh, Mark explains that Greg had no notes at all, which was great. Uh, He was even fine about the deadline that he missed. And Jez says, okay, great, but how much are they paying you up front? And Mark explains that this is not an upfront situation. You know, what we don't think that's going on in Denmark.
0: One thing I love about this part, too, is this is the classic where Mark and Jeremy have kind of role-reversed where usually mark is the one that you know could you imagine if jeremy had said hey we signed a band they're going to record our album but we have to pay him two thousand dollars you know for studio time first mark would have just been yeah, all mark over would
1: have his... destroyed it yes he? yeah yeah you're quite right um and he he mark says that this is totally standard for first uh first time authors um, but he's going to kill him on the big unit deals. And Jeremy says, does J.K. Rowling pay to have the Harry Potter books published? <laughs> and, he, and Mark says, that's different. Uh, Harry Potter books are about wizards for children, but his books are about pharaohs for adults. And said, actually, it was the unluckiest day of J.K. Rowling's life when she didn't get picked up by a publishing house like BL Books. Um, Greg from British London said, imagine if she'd self-published. And... Then he said British London here for the first time, I think, because he's been calling it BL Books otherwise. And Jeremy questions the name. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He says British London. Doesn't that sound a bit too, in? before he can uh, even finish, Mark just says, what, patriotic for your liking? And Jeremy says made up. And Mark says, so what if it's made up? Do you think Penguin was founded by a penguin? In a sense, everything is made up. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And then Super Superhands, he chips in to say that he doesn't like the way the percentiles are looking at him, which I love it when Hans gets involved in any kind of properness or business deal. And Mark just dismisses him and says, well, thank you, Hans, but I really wouldn't worry. It's a gentleman's agreement. And Hans says, well, it looks like you've agreed to let these gentlemen fuck you in the ass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Jeremy kind of gives us one last... You know, just be careful, Mark. And Mark thinks to himself, great, Jeremy's the voice of reason and Superhands is giving me legal advice. This doesn't feel great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We then move on to a cafe where Mark, Jez and Dobby are sat. And uh, Dobby says that she went to see Trish and Simon and everyone at the new office. And Mark is thinking quite dismissively about how this is probably a converted warehouse for the smoothie makers and basketball hoops. Yeah. Oh, and rim job. Sorry. <laughs> uh there was a
0: commercial that Nicole and I were watching for some like job interview company, and the guy who get he ends up, you know, getting this imaginary job and the office he gets this job at looks exactly like this kind of idea <laughs> that Mark has in his head. And I just leaned over to Nicole last night and I was like, This place looks fucking horrible to work at.
1: <laughs> in the sort of early noughties, late nineties, there was a real kind of explosion of these sort of offices and I never worked in one, but I did have the displeasure to, when I was recently graduated, I went to like a graduate seminar where everyone sat in a circle and you were meant to work on your interview technique and think about like how you appear to, to corporate in a corporate situation. I mean, it was fucking hell <laughs> and it was in an office like this. And I remember thinking, Jesus christ i I would not want to work somewhere like this
0: yeah I could i couldn't I couldn't do it I couldn't do it no could not no, do it
1: you. no um so Adobe then says that she thought fuck it and handed in a notice at the council and um mark is surprised by this
0: mark just says oh wow that's amazing and davi says I know. Um, at this point, Davi gets up from the table to go to, like, the front counter or something. I don't know if she's getting more tea or coffee or whatever. And Mark just looks at Jeremy and he says, Jeremy, you failed. She's done exactly what she wanted. And Jeremy just says, I tried, but it's difficult. Spirit come- crushing comes much more naturally to you.
1: <laughs> um, And... Mark says that this won't work, you should have told the truth, dreams crumble to dust, and Jeremy says, ah, your motto, (laughs) you should put that on your business cards. And and, um, and Jeremy then says, look, chill out, if you love something, set it free. And Mark says, what if I love a black man, but should I set that free? Is that what you and Sting want, a venomous killer, loose on the streets of South London? Which is a a very funny line. And and I've always thought myself about that song. Is that really true if you love it, I don't know i'm not sure about that
0: if you love something set it free if it comes back yeah uh i don't know maybe
1: i guess yeah i mean yeah sting sang about it i don't know
0: i actually use that a lot as um i had a a very ugly breakup in like 2005 where i was just convinced that this that she was going to want to get back with me and so you know, I would tell people like, yeah, you know, we broke up, but it's okay because we're going to get back together. Like there's no way we're not going to get back together, you know, and I just I like had this uh I just had this you know, I kept hope that we were going to get back together.
1: No. I see I had the kind of like opposite of I mean, a similar but the other way. So when I broke up with Bim Burner, he it was very ugly on both sides. It was horrible. And I remember us having this one of many arguments in the process of breaking up where he said, you know, pretty much that if you love something, set it free. Like if it's meant to be, maybe we'll get back together at some point along the line. Like maybe you'll be like 50 <laughs> and divorced and I'll be like what comes along. And, we'll, you, you know, that's how we'll be together. And I was like, if my options in life are in 30 years time that I'm going to come back to this shitstorm i'll kill myself right now like that is not inspiring me to want to live the next 30 years of my life you wanker and um, and I, so whenever i think of that i think of oh cr- christ if that's what if my husband's gonna die and i'm a tragic widow and i end up like on the dating scene and he comes back into my life then i think i really will just i'll i'll take the cyanide tablet thanks
0: <laughs> oh god that's so funny <laughs> no thanks not for me yeah um so we go back to apollo house and we have mark and jeremy and mark is talking about you know do we want to get salt or dry roasted uh nuts you know salted are classic everyone loves salt but expensive in the quantities he wants to provide and uh jeremy asks you know isn't british london pay- or isn't london british paying for this party <laughs>
1: Yeah, and uh, Mark corrects him and says British London, and he says, no, not in the current climate. Um, And he's sitting at his computer, he's ready to hit go on the transfer and let British London fire up the printing press. And Jeremy sees that it's two grand and says, look, you know, it's a lot of money. And Mark says the situation in Denmark is deteriorating. That's a fact, ink shortage. But if I move quickly, they might be able to get me some. And they've got a guy in Hamburg who's got some ink. And Jeremy thinks, oh my god, he's actually going through with it. He's cracking his nest egg and frying it up to make these arseholes a delicious breakfast. <laughs> and he says that I can't let you do this. And he takes the mouse away and unplugs it. And and Mark says, You can't do that, you're censoring me. I'm gonna call it amnesty. And Jeremy says, Go ahead. I'm sure they'll be fascinated, but I'm doing an intervention on you. <laughs> yeah.
0: And um and you know, Mark is just asking. Asking to return his property, and he asked why he didn't intervene on Ian McEwen or Tony Parsons. And Jeremy just says, I'm going to say two words here that you probably don't want to hear vanity publishing. And Mark is livid about this.
1: Yeah, he's like, You're just jealous because I'm a successful author, and you're an unemployed dope smoker who, even after 20 years of doing it, cannot roll a very good joint. And um, Jeremy actually is being a good friend here. Like, he actually is doing the right thing, and he's saying, you know, you can't do this, but you need to think about your targets, aims, and expectations. And Mark then laughs and says, are you trying to life coach me?
0: Yeah, I love what a genuinely good friend Jeremy is being here. Like, he's actually being a life coach. Like, I feel like in this, this is one of the few times in the series where he's actually, like, a good, effective life coach.
1: Yeah, he should actually have got his certificate just based on this interaction, I think.
0: Yeah, I do too. Uh, but Mark is being like a super dickhead here and Mark just says are you trying to life coach me and Jeremy says maybe and um, Mark says that he should be the one that should be doing an intervention on Jeremy because you my friend are a vanity life coach and Jeremy tries to defend himself saying my course is a proper qualification it's not a excuse me let me start over Oh, no, I had it right. I had it right. Yeah, no, I think
1: you did have it right.
0: Yeah, Jeremy says... Sorry. Mark says that I'm the one that should be doing an intervention on you because you, my friend, are a vanity life coach. And Jeremy responds, my course is a proper qualification. It's not a pretend book from a 10 publisher getting printed on pretend paper. Yeah,
1: and he uh, says, look... Um, even if you complete this ludicrous, yeah, sorry, Mark says, even if you complete this ludicrously short course, you're never going to be a life coach. It's just another dream, like being a pop star or a front bottom <laughs> inspector. And Jeremy says that wasn't a career; it was a T-shirt. And he's and Mark then as well. It was still a more realistic uh, expect, like, uh, I'm sorry, it was a more realistic career option for you than being a life coach. And Jeremy is just incredulous. He says he threw that T-shirt at months ago, and you know why? Because it was tasteless. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: was a shame to be seen wearing in public. Yeah, and um, you know, Jeremy's talking about that's the Jeremy you're dealing with now. This you know mature individual, and Mark just is like, "Hey, Jeremy, do you want to life coach this cup into the washing up bowl? You're not stopping my book bu- my book launch." And as Jeremy walks out, Mark thinks to himself, "Kneel before Pharaoh Corrigan and his pyramid of peanuts." <laughs> <laughs>
1: We then go back to the life coaching class um, where Celia is, is is talking to everyone. Everyone's got their certificates. And Jeremy says to her, What the hell is going on? Because everyone else passed, or everyone's passed. Um, and is this some sort of administrative error? Because, you know, Hillary, whose UKIP membership card fell out of her, <laughs> she passed. And uh, are you really suggesting that people should go to her to get coaching?
0: um and then celia says that um she can't put her reputation on the line by certifying jeremy as a life coach he has a poorly developed ego system and sexual issues and jeremy (laughs) takes huge offense to this because if there's one thing jeremy is good at it is having sex
1: (laughs) yes um and then He says, well, let me give you a little tip about foreplay. You were waggling about on my guy like it was the cranking handle on Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And she just says, you're a sexual pervert, Jeremy. And he's like, what, in a bad way?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he says, like, very loudly, uh, oh, Miss Severed Cox thinks I'm disgusting. (laughs) And she just says, cut off all my hair and eat it. And Jeremy just says, I was busking. I was vibing. You were cutting things off. I thought hair, I mean it's not cocks and Celia tries to defend it by saying that was just a mad image whereas destroying and consuming my beautiful hair, I thought or, sorry, Celia says that was just a mad image whereas destroying and consuming my beautiful hair and before she can really continue Jeremy just says, I thought there was no boundaries and she says, there are no boundaries within limits
1: (laughs) (laughs) and he says, look I'm going to appeal. I'm going to launch an appeal to the British Life Coaching Confederation. And if such a body exists, then you are going to be in big trouble.
0: (laughs) Is there a British Podcasting Confederation?
1: (laughs) I don't think there is yet, but give it time. It might become unionized.
0: We should start it. We should start the British Podcasting Confederation.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we could be the founder members. Yeah,
0: we'll be the head and we'll be the president and vice president of the board, as well as secretary, (laughs) treasurer, and. whatever well
1: every every union's got to start somewhere
0: yeah exactly we'll be a union of two we'll go on strike when the uh advertising dollars get too low
1: (laughs) we then move into the pub where mark and jeremy are and um and it's the book it's the night of the book launch
0: yeah, and things are not looking good. Things are... I mean, well, I should say, things are looking good. You know, there's a lot of people there. There's a lot of books there. And, you know, Jeremy walks up to Mark and says, you know, hey, how's it going? And Mark says, oh, there's just a little bit of errata. But, you know, there's always going to be a few errata. Um, and Jeremy just says, it's a good night, I reckon. And Mark just says, yeah. Listen, Jez, I'm just going to go home out of the fire escape, out the window, would you ask the pub man if I can have my deposit back? And would you tell everyone that I made a huge mistake? Goodbye.
1: (laughs) I really enjoy how he says, could you ask the pub man if I can have my, my deposit back? That really tickles me, especially as the deposit is probably all of about 50 quid. (laughs) Um, uh, he, and Jeremy's like, what's wrong? And he says, look, they misspelled my name. And he shows him the book and it says Mark for again. (laughs) Poor Mark. (laughs) Poor Mark.
0: Um, and he just says, "Is sometimes it's difficult to." Re-. Uh, Jeremy says, "Sorry." When I say he, I mean Jeremy. Jeremy says that it's a little difficult to read because the text kind of disappears into the binding. But and before he can really continue, Mark just says, "They're printouts, Jeremy. They're not books. They're printouts." And he just and looks it's so sad. He looks so sad, devastated here.
1: Oh, it's um. And especially as so i did uh, an english literature degree but i part of my degree was i did like a year's module in like creative and professional writing and i i felt i felt this really hard because obviously it was only a small part like it was a one module of my degree but there were people that did that degree that did it for their actual whole degree this was like three years of a degree and some of them have become published writers to give them their dues and there there are a few out of my graduating year who who have become published writers but quite a few haven't and like like most of them haven't and a lot of them it's all about um, self-publishing on Amazon through like Kindle and they make money from it but it's it's a soul-crushing business and I always get a little bit sad when I think about it and (laughs) thinking about Mark in this soul-crushing business is just horrible
0: yeah i definitely feel bad for mark he's been working on this book almost the entire time that we've known him
1: yeah exactly he's this has been like literally been his his sort of almost lifelong dream to write this book and it's just all up in smoke now
0: yeah um jeremy thinks to himself every fiber of me wants to scream i told you so but i'm a life coach and Mark is just continuing on about how sad he is. He says that they totally cut out Chapter 14, the Nile Irrigation Viral Marketing Comparison. Um, Jeremy And
1: he says that Greg said he really liked it, so why would they leave it out? <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: and then Davi asks, or Jeremy asks, oh my God, I'm sorry, I'm tired for some reason. Um, that right? Jeremy asks, why don't you do a reading from your book? And Mark says, oh, no, I don't think people would really want to. Jeremy says, oh, go on. And then Dobby says, do it in your Egyptian accent like you did in (laughs) bed the other night. That was funny.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, And he says that he really doesn't think he can. And Jeremy says, you can. And so he gets up. And I really feel for Mark here because it seems like he's mustered all of his sort of strength and dignity together. (laughs) And it's a little bit like when he makes the speech at Jeremy's wedding to Nancy that he's so nervous about because Superhands has taken all the coke and he's not relaxed, but off his head. And he sort of takes a deep breath and he says, he starts it off by saying, thank you for coming. I just wanted to say, vanity, all is vanity. But like Pharaoh Khufu, I've built a great tomb and tonight I'm not going to bury you in it with me. Um, And he says that, You know, tonight he wants to say that this book is a disaster, it's a travesty, it's proof of a broken promise, but he wants to announce here and now that he's going to aggressively pursue British London in the small claims court, therefore proving the wisdom of his seventh chapter, make UK company law into your Anubis.
0: Yeah, I just feel so bad for Mark here. He just, he looks so gutted. Everything he does has this just pain to it. I mean, Jesus, it's really uncomfortable to even watch because it's clearly somebody who just doesn't want to be there.
1: Yeah, he says that it's when, earlier in the scene when Jeremy said it's just one of those things, mate, he says one of those things like when a cherished dream is smashed into your face and you in front of everyone you know, and that is, that exactly sums up his demeanor here.
0: Alright, so after a quick time out so that I could go like take a caffeine pill or something to pet myself up, we get to the, <laughs> we get to the final scene of the show, and Mark and Jeremy are walking towards the offices of British London, and uh, you know, Mark just asked Jeremy, it was okay, wasn't it? And Jeremy just says, it was a weird and uplifting night of recriminations and complicated legal debate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and he says to, Mark says to Jeremy that he just wants to apologize for saying that his life coaching was bullshit. And he's like, we're under the bridge, as Simon and Garfunkel used to sing. And Mark thinks, I'm not even going to correct him, that's how big I've become.
0: I'm enormous like the sun god, Ra. <laughs>
1: Um, they walk up to the offices and Jeremy says this must be the only publishing house that looks like it could also do you an M.O.T., which is uh, funny because it does look like a garage.
0: What's an M.O.T.?
1: Oh, it's it something. So once your car's three years old, it has to have it every year. It's a I don't know what M.O.T. actually stands for, but it's just to check your car's roadworthy and it costs £45 pounds and it never is. They always have to do something. M-O-T stands for, it's going to be motor something, uh, M-O-T, what, what does M-O-T stand for?
0: Wait, so you have uh, to do that as soon as your vehicle is over three years old?
1: Yes. Is
0: it an annual thing that you have to do?
1: Yeah, yeah, you have to do it every year. Oh my god. What does M-O-T stand for?
0: I'm sorry, but that's fucking bullshit.
1: Yeah, it's an expensive piece of bullshit. It only costs about 50 quid to do it, but it's, like I say, they always find something wrong. Ministry of Transport. There you go. Ah. It is an annual test of vehicle safety, roadworthiness, and aspects of exhaust emissions required in the UK for vehicles over three years old and used in any way to find us on the road.
0: Ding, that's yeah. crazy.
1: Phil's car's just gone through it. It passed uh but my dad is so my dad always takes our cars in for mots and he always tells us off for not doing whatever you're meant to do with cars like put water in the radiators and stuff so it did pass but because my dad spruced it up before he took it <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a good dad and such yeah that's a good dad um yeah. and so as they walk in we see greg and he's pulling something off the printer and Greg just says, "Here we are, hot off the presses." And he hands Jeremy this giant certificate that just says "Jeremy Osborne, spelled with a U, or Osborne, but it's spelled with a U. And um, Greg also just kind of throws in this little thing where he says, "Oh, I do business cards."
1: Yeah, and it's a beautiful certificate. It's got it's like it's got little twirly bits on it, and it's got boulder, and It's just like the fanciest certificate you've ever seen. Yep. And he's so pleased with it. And he says that it's amazing. And it's got stars on it. Four stars. What are the stars for? And Mark says, well, I just thought you deserve some stars. And he, and Jeremy says only four, though. And Mark says he thought that five would be maybe overdoing it.
0: And then, but Mark does point out that he did put grade excellent on there because he thinks Jeremy is going to make an excellent life coach.
1: Yeah. Um, and Jeremy is just over the moon with it. Like he's like a kid at Christmas. And he says, God, look at it. Approved by the British Life Coaching Confederation. <laughs> And Fancy and Mark says, the great thing is, is that the genuine document is so worthless that no one's ever going to check. So <laughs> no one will ever work out it's a forgery. Uh, I love... Which does sound a little bit like my degree certificate. I often think this is that like, like it gets, whenever you get a new job, like obviously it gets photocopied and they put it in a file at work. And I think, man, no one's ever checked that's real. And it's, it. I think that there's probably an element of truth to that about a lot of people are forging stuff.
0: That's actually uh a, uh... There was actually, like, kind of a cottage industry in, um... There's actually kind of a cottage industry in Kansas. Or, sorry, not in Kansas. In, um... In America, they were called, like, degree mills, where they would basically just shit out, like, fake degrees and, um...
1: Yeah, I bet it happens, like, a lot. I bet there's... I bet you can find them pretty easily if you started, like, searching Craigslist. Because when you think about it, like it must have been the case over there as well. I know it was because I've seen super bad of those like fake IDs that you used to be able to buy, which I'm sure you still can buy. Um, and they were a massive thing when I was underage for getting into the pubs. So yeah, someone's definitely doing this and making a lot of money out of it.
0: Yeah. So then after that, sorry, I had to just find where we were. Um,
1: That's
0: right. <laughs> as they're getting ready to go, um, Greg looks at Mark and he says, look, you know, I know this place isn't great, but British London is for real. I really did love your book, and I think you're a great writer. Mark tells him to, yeah, pull the other one. It's got bells on. Greg tells Mark that he's got talent and that he's been speaking to Jeanette Winterson. Apparently, she's not happy over at Vintage. And Greg tells Mark that he wants to publish his next book. And Mark, all of a sudden, is like, has just forgotten all the horrible stuff that Greg has done to him and is interested instantly in getting another book published.
1: Yeah, he says that he's thinking about doing something on Napoleon and the internet. And Greg says, that sounds amazing. And he says, how about another, uh, we do that and another run of BS of the Peas and no upfront payment this time. We'd we make the corrections. All you'd need to do is provide me with a small bridging loan. And Mark turns to Jez and says, come on, you couldn't do it twice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Jeremy thinks to himself, no, that'd be impossible. And then says to Mark, come on, mate, I'm life coaching you out of here. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Great,
1: great ending to a very funny
0: Yeah, I, I was looking because for some reason I had it in my head that on IMDb, that was the lowest rated episode of Peep Show. But apparently... Is it? No, apparently I was wrong
1: what is the lowest rated episode
0: oh man let me let me pull up the list i believe it is I'm interested somebody's... to see
1: if it matches mine
0: um okay peep show episodes best to worst here give me just a second compelling compelling Oh no! Okay, so it is. It is uh, business secrets of the pharaohs, according to this one random oh, list.
1: Okay, but that seems unfair, and not not at the bottom of mine. Where do you think I've put it?
0: Oh well, now that I have the now
1: that I have the um, the list, the list, I've the list. I can just I, uh, my bottom spot is open, but it is not the bottom for me.
0: Hmm? See, number five is open. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go crazy here and just shoot high and go for number five.
1: Yeah, it's not number five. It is number twenty-three. I've put it at so pretty high um, in the top, like more than the top half. I, yeah, I like this episode. I think it's really funny, and I think it's my highest. Rep- I think it is my highest rated series eight. And this is a clue to how I'm gonna how I'm gonna slate the rest of them. But I think this is my highest rated episode eight, or maybe my second highest episode I'll, in series eight.
0: I'll be honest. I'm just surprised that we still have two episodes in the top ten that we haven't talked about.
1: Yeah, what could they be? Well, you will see. Mm,
0: I can't wait.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, so I, I, kind of, I kind of screwed up here. Then I was a little off. I think having the list in front of me actually made it harder.
1: <laughs> yeah, see, not, not so great. Yeah, yeah. You, you've been hoist, hoisted by your own petard,
0: I know. I, I, unreleased the list. God damn it.
1: <laughs> um, have you been watching anything or listening to anything this week that you wanted to talk about?
0: Uh just staircase.
1: Have you finished it yet? No,
0: Nicole and I are on episode 6, I think. I gotta tell you, I'm just as much in love with that attorney as you are.
1: Oh, I, I, I really, genuinely, what I said on Twitter was right. I don't know if I want to have a drink with him or just jag his brains out, but I am very attracted to, to him in ways that I don't completely understand.
0: The craziest thing to me was while I was watching it, um, there's a There's a part where a gay male prostitute is, or not, sorry, not prostitute, escort is interviewed on the stand. And he just says, you know, oh, my name is Brad Walgamont. And I'm like, Brad Walgamont, where do I know that name from? And all of a sudden I remembered he does a fucking Big Brother podcast over here.
1: (laughs) He's a celebrity now. He's brilliant. He's brilliant on the stand. And I love when he... When uh, he's being cross-questioned by the uh, prosecution, and they ask him what kind of people he entertained, and he said, "Oh, lawyers and the judge," and the judge just says, "Not this judge." That really was just brilliant.
0: One um, one thing that just is—it kind of cracks me up, but at the same time, it makes me very sad—is the just sheer amount of like homophobia, where they're like, "Oh, yeah. he's bisexual," and they're you know, well, how are we gonna? How are we gonna plan for this guy being bisexual? Like, god damn it, why is he bisexual? You know, and it's
1: Yeah, it's massively homophobic. I mean the the particularly the female prosecution lawyer, she is she is going for him about him being bisexual, isn't she? And I've I've been reading a lot of stuff and listening to the there's a BBC podcast, um, called Beyond Reasonable Doubt about this case as well. And everyone seems to agree that that blatant homophobia on her part was you know probably wouldn't fly now but it was the south and it was 15 years ago and it, things were different essentially but yeah she is she is very homophobic the whole case against him seems to be based around homophobia really
0: yeah yeah it's really crazy to me um it's very very enjoyable though like um i unfortunately found out how the initial court case goes, like the i it was totally inadvertent um i it's hard
1: to avoid spoilers now because everyone's talking about it, but it's I did manage to avoid spoilers, and I'm glad I did, but I don't think it's gonna change your enjoyment of it. I have to say
0: well, I was just amazed at the way that the prosecu <laughs> or that the defense was able to just like annihilate the prosecution and uh, especially where like they you know, that blood spatter expert is, you know, talking about how they did the light test on the shirt. And, you know, the defense is like, well, how come we didn't get a copy of this? And, you know, I don't know what it's like over there. But in America, the prosecution has to turn over all their evidence to the defense and the defense has to turn all their evidence over to the prosecution.
1: Yeah, well, I thought, I thought it all seemed like really shoddy work on the part of the court system. And I'm I didn't know if that was just, that was kind of how it is in America generally, or if it was, no, if, you know, that was a, it was just a botched case, but I don't see how, I mean, he did not get a fair trial for several reasons, and, and the fact that, that all of that evidence didn't make it to, to the defences is one of the reasons, I would say. I don't know, I'm very much on the fence about whether or not he actually did kill his wife, but regardless of whether he did or he didn't really he was massively failed by the court system
0: yeah it it, yeah in um over here not turning all the evidence over is they can either dismiss the witness or you know like it's almost it could be borderline grounds for a mistrial
1: yeah i I don't really understand how it didn't end in a mistrial and i don't really understand spoilers but you know how the initial goes now i don't really understand how he didn't manage to get an appeal for such a long time like it's just absolutely crazy to me that this was allowed to happen but i guess corruption and mistakes happen even in the best judicial systems and this is a, a clear case of that obviously
0: well and unfortunately there's a lot of uh like racism and bigotry in the american legal system which is very sad but there was like for instance there was a guy in missouri which is the next state over from where i live that um he was in jail for like 20 something years and he maintained that he was innocent the entire time and then i'm trying to think exactly what happened but there the police basically like arrested a very similar looking man to him. And this very similar looking man was like, oh yeah, I was actually the guy that did such and such, you know, thing that this other guy got prosecuted for. And he knew details that only the killer would have known. And right. yeah, yeah. and so they ended up releasing this guy. And I mean, could you imagine you went into jail? So like he was in jail for 20 years. So basically you went into jail in, you know, like 1996, 1997. Dude, think about how much the world has changed in 20 fucking years.
1: Mm, yeah, it's, I mean, we were, me and Phil were talking about this, so he didn't watch the whole thing with me, but he'd seen sort of bits of it. And we were saying that to, because once you're prosecuted, once you're convicted of something in a court, everywhere like the media and everyone starts talking about it like it's a done deal like you did it and imagine how how you'd start to go mad you'd start to go mad if you were in prison for decades literally decades knowing you didn't do something but this is it's just talked about like you did it and you're a liar i think you start to doubt your own sanity like i think you literally would have a nervous breakdown from it and Fair play to people that don't. Fair play to people that do fight their corner and manage to get out because it just seems once you're in prison, it's really hard to get out of there.
0: Oh my god, it's probably one of the biggest, you know, failings of our legal system.
1: Yeah, and I guess the only thing I can say is, like, well, thank god for us in this country that we don't have a death penalty anymore, so you can't actually kill people who haven't done it, but... You know, if ever there's an argument for the death penalty just not being, you know, right, it just is, it's mind boggling the amount of people that it turns out didn't do the crimes they they've been convicted of. And, you know, like I say, I'm very much on the fence about whether or not Michael Peterson was guilty of the crime that he was accused of. But either way, he didn't get a fair trial as far as I'm concerned. And I think that most that's largely been agreed now. And that's terrible. They spent years in prison.
0: Yeah, it's crazy to me. Um, the sh- other show that I would recommend that you watch if you haven't seen it is Making a Murderer.
1: Yes, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I thought it was very interesting and in quite a different case, but in a, a similar seeming miscarriage of justice.
0: Well, the crazy thing is, is that um, Brendan. Um, so Brendan Dassey, his like, it was really weird where his. Um, <sighs> They, like, vacated or – um hold on a second here. Yeah. In August 2016, the a magistrate judge ruled that Dassey's confession had been coerced and therefore was involuntary and unconstitutional and ordered him released. The Wisconsin Justice Department appealed the decision to the United States Court of Appeals, which then ended up blocking Dassey's release pending a hearing. So basically since like August of 2016, Brendan has been scheduled to be released, but they keep like pushing his court date back. And so he's just like That's terrible. Yeah, it's it's That's shocking. Yeah, it's insane. It's fucking insane. And basically at this point it's going to it looks like it's about to go to the Supreme Court.
1: Yeah, I never thought he did it. So that's yeah, that is terrible. But that's that waiting for that court date has been dragging on for 2 years. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he was supposed to, I remember, because he was, um, he talked about, like, in the, um, in Making a Murderer, he talked about, like, being out in time to watch a WWE show, uh, I think it was like SummerSlam or something like that. And he was supposed to be released, like, right before SummerSlam, and a bunch of us were like, oh, he's gonna get to watch SummerSlam, finally. And now, you know, almost two years later, he's still just been, you know, farting around, so it's...
1: Yeah, well, I remember them talking, so I watched that right before i got pregnant with my younger daughter she's nearly two now so i that that was like i say i watched that it was just right it was like the month before i got pregnant with her and she's she's now nearly two so it's been a long time that that's been dragging on that's shocking
0: yeah um netflix also has a very funny kind of version of that show called american vandal that's very funny
1: oh is that the thing where the guy draws the penises on the
0: yeah, he spray paints the dicks yeah. on all the cars. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I've it's been on my list for a while, but I haven't watched it yet, so I will watch that.
0: Yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh let's see. Other than that, I really haven't been I haven't really been watching or listening to much.
1: I wanted to actually make a quick mention for uh Flowers on Channel Four, which has just started its second series. I saw a bunch and... of tweets about that. Yeah, and stars uh, Olivia Coleman of People Show fame, and I hadn't watched it at all, but the second series coming on inspired me to read up about it, and then a few people on Reddit were saying it was really good, it was really worth watching, so I watched the first four episodes of Series 1 last night, and it is really good, it's a bit odd, and it's really dark, but it's really, really funny.
0: Is that the one where she watch. she's like an alcoholic that lives in a caravan?
1: no so they're a family they're a dysfunctional family it's they're the flowers family flowers is their surname and it's her her husband and their two grown-up children and the it opens with the husband trying to kill himself but he fails to kill himself and that's that's where the hilarity starts it doesn't sound very funny at all but it is really funny it's really dark and it's got a bit of a sort of league of gentlemen edge to it um which I'm not, I'm not mad about the League of Gentlemen. Like I think I spoke before about I quite like, I've very much enjoyed Inside Number Nine with uh, Rhys Shearsmith, who you know from Car Share as the um, the fish guy, the guy in the fish. Oh, announcer. the
0: fishmonger. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, and I, but I'm not really a big League of Gentlemen. Like I'm not massive into kind of like surreal comedy, and this Flowers does stray a little bit into that sort of surreal comedy area, but. I was laughing a lot. I found it very funny. So I'm looking forward to finishing up series one and watching the first two episodes of series two of that.
0: Yeah, I'll have to uh, put that on my list of UK shows I need to eventually watch.
1: Yeah, it's on 4OD, or more 4, whatever it's called now. All 4, yeah, the channel 4 on-demand service. And they're only like 24 minutes each, so they're very easy to watch.
0: That's good to know. Uh, That's, yeah, I always like shows that are easy to watch, i felt car share yeah. was very easy to watch as well
1: yeah yeah definitely things that are a pleasure rather than you feeling like you're plowing through them yeah
0: no kidding
1: yeah
0: um so we will be back next week with a very funny episode love bunker yes is that next week's episode love
1: yes bunker. i believe it is yes yes, yes I think. <laughs> yeah 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 sure is
0: um Again, we want to thank everybody that supports us on Patreon. I'm glad we don't have to do ads for, uh... I was listening to this podcast and it was very jarring to me because in the middle of the podcast, they would like break to do advertisements and I was just like, holy fuck, this just like takes me right out of the show so
1: yeah it drives me mad as well i agree with you and the ad, you can't skip them and they yeah i hate it so i agree with you i'm glad that we don't have that
0: yeah yeah so thank you everybody that supports us on patreon um thank you to everybody that tweets to us on twitter we fucking love that so that's great thank you it's much appreciated
1: um yeah going on the twitter brightens up my workday. something something rotten if i've had a bad lesson which is Often, or <laughs> a bad, <laughs> a bad afternoon. Going onto the, uh, onto our Twitter and and um, reading the funny things people tweet us always makes me laugh. So thank you.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, with that, much like Jes and Mark doing their little l <laughs> Dude honk, we are gonna l Dude honk ourselves on out of here. I don't know why i said that bye. that's not anything we've ever done before okay You're all tired. right yeah all right and bye. this ld brother signing off hank hank uh, uh, uh. <laughs> uh, all right you guys have a great day bye i am in local parentis i am the last remaining contestant on the apprentice I am the home train dentist. Ay, 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 ay,